0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey
1: everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We've got two things for you today. First off, Mary Kay jumps on and talks us through some insider nuggets that she got from Minicamp. We talk about Greg Newsom, Jeremiah, Wusakormo, Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham Jr., all of that stuff. Then in the second half of the pod, I talked to Malik Jackson. He made a donation 250 copies of the Juneteenth themed book, All Different Now, Juneteenth, the first day of freedom, to Cleveland schools and organizations. So I talked to him a little bit about that. His time in Denver and how this defensive line compares to what they had in Denver and kind of what last week was like getting to know his teammates for the first time. So that's in the second half of the podcast. Make sure you're a Football Insider subscriber Go to Cleveland.com slash Browns the Blue Banner at the top of the page to get all the information about it and get signed up. Okay, here we go. Our Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. So Mary Kay, let's get right to it. The first bit of information you've got for us had to do with Greg Newsom.
2: First of all, uh, you know, you were there when we saw Greg finish the mini camp with an interception off Baker Mayfield that resulted in a loud chorus of cheers from the defense. It was a really great way for him to wrap up an excellent spring. Uh, they're really, really excited about what they're seeing in Greg Newsom so far. He's coming up that learning curve very, very quickly. He looks very polished, and the reviews have been very good for him. Now, Greedy so far has been in there with the first team. But there really is an opportunity in training camp for Greg to get in there and prove that he deserves the starting job. Now, a lot of a lot of defensive coordinators and you know guys that have been around for a long time, they like veterans. They like veterans early on. But I think that Greg Newsom is going to make it very difficult for him to not put Greg on the field pretty early on.
1: It like it wouldn't surprise me if, if Greg Newsom managed to win this job in camp. If if he came in, I I would expect Greedy to be the number one to start, but that would be one of the positions I would circle where, you know, we get to that first off day in camp and you start to shuffle things around a little bit, or maybe you get past that first preseason game. It it wouldn't surprise me if if Newsom had a real opportunity to pass Greedy at at some point along that stretch.
2: Yeah, he actually has had Uh, Right now, a better spring than Greedy had, but it's really not an apples-to-apples comparison yet because Greedy has still been limited. Grant and Greedy are limited, and they're kind of ramping up to what they can do. And it really did present an opportunity for Greg to go out there to get more reps and to kind of shine in this defense so far.
1: And the other thing, too, is I'm curious what they'll do as far as – you know, could they move him inside if they wanted to start greedy and, and put Greg inside? Then then you have to wonder, could, could he supplant Troy Hill? I doubt he could. I mean, they signed Troy Hill to be their slot corner, but I don't know. I, I, that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to ask Joe Woods that question is to see if if he would kind of tell us, can Greg play on the inside? And he seemed to indicate that it's something they think he can do after this spring.
2: Yeah, I mean, it it, it probably is something that he can work into. But that's a tough position to play yeah. right away. Uh, that, that's a really, really difficult spot to excel in. And I think that especially when you're looking at facing the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, you, you have to be really ready to roll. And I think in that opener, particularly a little bit of experience, I think is going to go a long way when you play a really great veteran team that has gone to the Super Bowl the last two times. So I think that's going to factor into some of these decisions as well.
1: Let's talk about another rookie, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, our first look at him. And one of the things, I think I mentioned this on a pod, I texted this out on Friday. One of the things I really liked that Joe Wood said is they're they're kind of taking it slow with them. And I like this idea of put him at will linebacker, let him master that, or you know at least kind of really get the hang of that position and then expand from there instead of just throwing a million things at him at once. I think that's how you set a guy up for success. So what can you tell us about owusu Kormoa?
2: They're really loving what they're seeing out of JOK so far. But as you mentioned, when we did ask uh, Joe Woods about that, you know, he said, yeah, it's really easy to get up on the whiteboard, to get excited and to think of all the different things that you can do with a hybrid guy like that, because the possibilities really are endless. And he is sort of uh, the wave of the future of linebacker in the NFL right now against the pass and all the different things that he can do. But once again, they understand that these guys are, are just coming out of college. And in some cases they're coming out early. They don't have 48 starts under their belt. And so I do think that they will not put him in position to have a setback or to lose his confidence. They want him to get off to a great start. And that might mean somebody else starting at weak side linebacker, at least during training camp. He's got an opportunity in training camp to overtake these guys. But when we show up for training camp, uh, we are more likely to see Jacob Phillips and Mac Wilson working at weak side linebacker, in some cases, even ahead of JOK. Uh, because he does have to come up the learning curve and prove himself. And some of this also is some coaches are a little old school. They like to make rookies earn the job, right? In the long run, they feel that goes a long way towards a guy really feeling like he wasn't handed anything like he had to earn it and he had to go out and he had to grab it. And it keeps them hungrier during training camp as well. If you don't hand JOK, those first team reps, in the first week of training camp, he's got something to strive for, something to work for. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's how
1: it goes. Okay, I'm going to call an audible here from our pre-show planning because you mentioned a name that we wanted to talk about. So let's just skip here to Mac Wilson mm-hmm. because you had something interesting to, to say about Mac Wilson.
2: Yeah, Mac Wilson. How many times on this podcast have we talked about the fact that he could be the odd man out because they, they have drafted weak side linebackers. They re-signed Malcolm Smith. I mean, they've they've got a lot of bodies at that position, and he just did not grade out well last year at all. He was in the 30s. Uh, That is nowhere near uh, what you need for a starting linebacker, and that was according to Pro Football Focus. So out of anybody that we've talked about, he's one that we have referred to as someone who really needed to step up his game, who needed to just come in here and be lights out and, and make it so they can't dismiss him. And he has done that so far. He's had a really really nice spring and he had a good mini camp. In fact, I saw him get an interception off of Baker Mayfield in the last practice of mini camp. So that was another uh, another thing that helped. Of course, they're not in pads and this, these aren't real practices, but even if you could just do something like that to stand out a little bit, it's going to help you. So Mac Wilson Wilson has answered the bell. He's answered the bell to the point where he will get some starting reps at weak side linebacker along with Jacob Phillips to start training camp. This doesn't mean it's going to end up that way because I still think that by the time we get to the opener on September 12th, I think JOK is probably going to be in there. If he's not in there, he will be rotating in there pretty quickly. Don't count Mac Wilson out yet. He's had a nice spring and they've
1: noticed. He he almost has to have a camp in a preseason. Like he had his rookie year when he had all those interceptions and just had an incredible camp and was really putting on a show and it looked like, Whoa, maybe, maybe the Browns found something here in the fifth round. You know, I, I still think there's a lot of work ahead for Mac Wilson though, just based on you got Anthony Walker, you, you drafted JOK. Okay. It might depend on Tony fields, honestly, who we didn't see and he was in a boot all mini camp and during OTAs, you know, if Tony fields shows, maybe he can contribute this year, that that might end up being bad news for Mac Wilson because then they can put him on, on the 53 instead of maybe trying to sneak him through to the practice squad or something like that. There's a lot of variables that I think could work against Mac Wilson. And, you know, the reality is, I mean, like you said, he, he wasn't very good last year. And, and that's, that's going to stick in coaches' minds, too.
2: Remember that he suffered a hyperextended knee in training camp, Mac Wilson did. And that was a setback for him. He came back sooner than we thought he would. It almost looked like a season ending injury when it happened. I mean, it looked like it could be bad, Uh, but he came back and he came back a lot sooner than anybody thought that he would. But I think that that injury was a setback for him. A lot of times when a guy has an injury in training camp and it lingers into the beginning part of the season, it sort of affects you for the rest of the season. And that might've been a factor for him because he's kind of back full speed. Now he looks really, he looks fast. He's very engaged. He understands the system. He really knows the system now. And I think that helps him play faster. He was just kind of one of the pleasant surprises of of the spring so far.
1: Let's talk about another guy on defense, Ronnie Harrison. And, uh, you know, again, with with the caveat that we always have out there, it's minicamp. I saw 33 all over the place in minicamp. And he got a lot of opportunity because Grant Delpit was sort of in and out, you know, as he's kind of coming back from that Achilles injury. They don't want to do too much with him. Joe Woods said he was a different guy this year and said he was watching film and he saw somebody in the post and said, who's that? And they said, Hey, it's Ronnie. Well, he looked like a different guy this season looked more comfortable. I want to see what Ronnie Harrison can do. He's a very interesting guy to me in this safety room.
2: Yeah, he really is. And, and Joe is right about that. You could see that he is a different guy. There are a couple things that play here with Ronnie Harrison and those things are, Number one, he did not show up on the Browns' doorstep until September when he was acquired in a trade with the Jaguars for that fifth-round pick. You know, when you miss all of training camp, it means something. When you are not with that team in training camp and you haven't been there for the install of the defense and you haven't taken those reps, that's a huge setback, okay? He was in camp, but he was in camp with the Jaguars. So right from, from the start, he was starting behind the eight ball with the Cleveland Browns by not being here. And then he suffered a shoulder injury when he played against the Jaguars. And that was another setback that caused him to miss. I think that was like four games, three, four games. Uh, So that was another huge setback for him. And even when you come back from those injuries, you're not yourself in the first game back. So he had a couple of strikes against him. Those strikes are gone. Those strikes are gone. Now he knows Joe Wood's system. He's healthy. He's playing a lot faster. He's got confidence and he's also got competition. He knows that Grant Delpit is coming for that job and it's bringing out the best in in Ronnie. And, you know, we saw some really good things in him uh, at minicamp. And I think he's going to have a lights out training camp. And Grant Delpit, as we mentioned on yesterday's pod or last weekend's pod, that He's never played a down of football in the NFL yet. He still has to prove himself. And he's also coming off of an Achilles injury. Now, I think that uh, the plan is for him to be the starter. That was, of course, the plan last year. In a perfect world, I think they want their 2020 number two second round pick to win that starting job. But Ronnie's going to give him everything that he's got. And I think, once again, just from the standpoint of experience, I could see him starting against the Chiefs. I could see Ronnie Harrison starting against the Chiefs. Now, if Grant comes continues to come up the learning curve and is healthy enough to practice, you're going to have a really, really good three-way safety rotation there with John Johnson, Ronnie, and Grant. But when you only have two in the very beginning, it could be Ronnie and John. And then also you will have plenty of big nickel, which is five defensive backs but it's three safeties not three cornerbacks so three safeties in the big nickel and grant and ronnie will obviously both be in on that sub package
1: like you said Delta was supposed to be the guy starting last year but plans change all the time in the nfl that was a year ago and ronnie harrison wasn't on the roster a year ago and you know i don't know If Ronnie ends up being better or just more ready, they almost have to go that direction with him and and kind of just see what happens with Grant. But Grant's going to get his opportunity. He was a second-round pick, obviously, a guy they valued. so, So he'll get his opportunity, but that should be a fun battle to watch. Let's talk about one more defensive guy here before we go to the offensive side of the ball. Tack McKinley, I'm going to sound like Doug here. I'm kind of excited to see what Tack McKinley can do in this defense. I'm more excited about Tack in the role he's in now than I was when we were looking at him as a potential starter. So what can you tell us about where tack is and what you've heard about him?
2: Well, first of all, when I asked Joe Woods about him, I was kind of trying to extract something positive from Joe <laughs> about tack because I watched tack. I watched a lot of tack and in minicamp. And one of the reasons why I did is because the defensive line men were so close to us. We could see them really well. And it was just so much easier. The offense was way clear across the field. It was really hard. I had binoculars on them, but it was still very difficult because quite often we had a lot of players standing in front of them and we couldn't really always see them the way that we wanted to. Uh, So I focused a lot on some of these new defensive linemen and uh, I watched Davian a lot. I watched Malik a lot. I watched Tack and a lot of those guys. And I really liked what I saw in Tack McKinley. First of all, he's, he's smaller than I thought he was going to be, right? I mean, when you see him against the guys that are 6'5", he's only 6'2". And I was like, that's Tack? You know, I just wasn't expecting him to be that short. Um, and he just looked shorter to me. Uh, 6'2", certainly isn't short. But well, he's, for the,
1: right, he's wearing number 55, too. Right. And, that, and we talked about that with Anthony Walker. It just it throws you off when you see that 55.
2: Yes, definitely. And so, yeah, just from a defensive and, you know, body type standpoint, he's not the prototype uh, and he's not what we're used to looking at with, you know, you know with Miles Garrett and now Jadavian Clowney. These guys are six foot five, whatever. And um, so he just didn't have that body type and he, he almost does have more of a linebacker type of body. He really does. I really liked what I saw in him in a number of ways. And he he gained some uh, he gained some momentum uh, in the building with with how he played uh, in, in this spring and in this mini camp, he worked his tail off. I mean, he, he showed a lot of energy. He had a great attitude. He was very engaged. It's not like he's pouting because they signed Jadavian Clowney after him, because that basically took away his starting job. I mean, he, he's competitive. You know, there were a few times where one of the times he was going around the bags really fast and he, he lost his footing and he fell down and he's, you know, I can't remember if he cussed himself out, but he's slapping his hands and he got really mad at himself. Whenever he made a mistake, he got really mad. Or sometimes after reps, I saw him consulting with, you know, with Miles or with Jadavian. He's really trying hard. He's got a really great work ethic. And I think that will serve him well because, you know, he wants to get some playing time there and the opportunity is there if he proves that he deserves it. So looking forward to seeing what he can do in camp. But so far, it was a good mini camp for him.
1: So, so when people hear the interview with Malik Jackson in the second half of this, this pod, I asked him about why that defensive line group was so energetic. And he said, like, there's however many guys in that room and only like eight guys are going to dress on a Sunday. So it's going to be competitive and it's going to be energetic. And, and so, yeah, I, I think there's, there's going to be that type of competitive energy in that group going all the way through training camp. Uh, and, and that's going to be the must-watch group, I think, in training camp. There's, there's certain things you love to watch, like the one-on-ones and all that stuff, but however they set it up for fans to attend training camp, make sure you circle that defensive line group. You'll want to check those guys out because they are loud and they compete. And they were right in front of us this week, too, but I think it was more than that. I think they were just, frankly, the loudest group all, all week at, at minicamp.
2: We, we watched this all week. We saw that Malik Jackson – And Andrew Billings were the two starters in there consistently all the time. It was very evident to see that that's what it was during minicamp. That's what it's going to be during training camp. And I think that's what it's going to be on opening day. I mean, there's a lot of competition behind them, but those guys have the experience to go in there against the Chiefs. They have the veteran experience, the veteran leadership. I think those guys are the two front runners to start against the Chiefs.
1: Let's move to the offensive side of the ball. Let's talk about Baker Mayfield and his footwork. What, what can you tell us about that?
2: Well, we know that he now has muscle memory on the footwork. You know, he learned all the new footwork last year. And and he was he was really trying to get it down and, in training camp. And, and we saw that. But, you know, then you get into the season and you just really can't spend a whole lot of time working on those fundamentals anymore. You've just got to survive and you've got to go out and you've got to win the next game. But now they're back to tweaking some things and making sure that that is all really sound, and that it is is the West Coast footwork uh, the way that Alex Van Pelt wants it. So it's not perfect right now. Uh, they're still working on it to a degree, and there are a few little kinks that they're working on. But for the most part, he's, he's got it down, but it's just not perfect the way they, they need it to be.
1: Yeah, with Baker, it's, it's just – we, we kind of want things to happen overnight, I think, a lot, but it does take a little time, like you said. And when you're in the heat of a game – you're not always thinking about your footwork and you're not always thinking about, you know, all of that stuff. You're just trying to make plays because it's organized chaos on Sundays. And sometimes it's not even that organized. So I I think this new sort of spring setup that they use is probably really good for him because it's not super competitive. It's, we're going to walk through stuff. We're going to install stuff. We're going to do individual work. We're going to, you know, there's, there's a few competitive seven on seven periods. Like you mentioned, Greg Newsom had an interception, one of them and, and all of that, but, there is a lot of time now, at least with the way they did it this year, for that individual focus and that individual work on little things like footwork and timing and all of that stuff.
2: Yeah, and and the other thing to note about Baker Mayfield is the ball is coming out really, really well. His arm looks fantastic. I actually think, I mean, he got a lot of reps in this minicamp. He, he really did. He, he got a ton of reps. Sometimes I actually... Wonder if it's not too much, you know. You don't want somebody to to overuse the arm or get a dead arm. But he's so durable. That's one thing about Baker Mayfield is he is incredibly durable. uh He's almost like a you know like a little dynamo. You know, he just like you know he gets sacked, he pops back up. I mean, he's just he's just got the way that his his body is built. He holds up. He really does hold up physically, and that is a tremendous asset, obviously, to have at quarterback. But the ball is coming out really really well it always has for the most part but he just throws a nice ball and and for the most part uh he's putting it you know right on the money like he always does the thing about this mini camp and the thing we will notice about this training camp is the level of competition that he's going against is going to be so much better for him this year than it was even last year that he's going to be so prepared for the season iron is going to sharpen iron and if he can get past and get the ball and fit it into the tight windows that he's going to have to against the likes of John Johnson, Ronnie Harrison, Grant Nelpit, Denzel Ward, you know, greedy Williams. These guys are going to give him all that he can handle in training camp. And that's going to be really good because there are not going to be very many defenses that he has to go up against that are going to be as good as his own. There will be some that are pretty darn good. The Ravens are going to be really good. The Steelers are going to be really good. There are going to be some good defenses, but his own defense is going to get him so ready for this season that it's going to benefit everybody early on. So
1: the last thing here, Odell Beckham Jr., probably the biggest surprise of minicamp just because, you know, I know we've seen the stuff on social media. I know we saw him working out in Austin, but it's just different when you kind of come around that corner, when you show up on Tuesday and there's Odell out there doing individual drills, no brace on the knee, nothing like that, seeing it in person, seeing him actually doing that work for the first two days of mini camp before he, you know, he worked on the side on Thursday. Uh, again, just part of that plan of, of rehabbing him and bringing him back. It was, it was good to see. I mean, it was encouraging and it makes you feel like, all right, July 27th, I don't know if he'll be hundred percent full go, but he's going to be pretty close. I would imagine so where are we at with Odell Beckham right now?
2: First of all, freak of nature. Okay. <laughs> freak of nature. It was like when Adrian Peterson came back from a torn ACL, I think he came back in like nine months, came back from a tor- torn ACL and rushed for 2000 yards that next year. Some people heal that way. They're just incredible healers. And Odell Beckham Jr. is shaping up to be one of those guys. He looks amazing. And now we did not get to see all of that. We didn't get to see everything that we're seeing on social media in this camp, but I will tell you what we've seen it. Jarvis Landry has seen it. The other Browns players have seen it in in Austin. The organization is seeing it and people are, their mind is blown away by what he's able to do after only seven months. And I think that really bodes well for training camp and for the start of the season. And I think that Baker and Odell are I think they're going to be really good together this year. I really think that they are are going to be good. And I think uh, people in the organization are really, really excited about what they've seen so far. I think they think those two guys are off to a really good start. I think Austin helped. Uh, They might have one more of these passing camps, possibly. Uh, Not sure if it's going to happen or not, but tentatively one scheduled for Florida in July. And that'll help a lot. I think everyone is really optimistic about this.
1: Well, you know, and the thing about it is, and they keep telling us that that second half of the season without Odell, it had nothing to do with Odell. It was just all about Baker's improvement, all of that. And, you know, I say this a lot in the NFL. Eventually, they got to show you their cards. Right. And the fact that Odell is still on this team, the fact that they're they're planning on him being a part of this offense and a big part of this offense tells you that they truly believe that, that they believe that this team and this offense are going to be better with Odell Beckham jr. Cause there were plenty of opportunities to go in d- different directions and they didn't do it. So, I, I mean, that's a big vote of confidence. And then to see him on the field doing actual football drills in person was just, I mean, it was incredible.
2: It really was incredible. And the thing to remember also about Odell Beckham jr. Is that he's about process and structure and smart football. And he really likes this coaching staff. And when you're bought into the coaching staff, that means everything. One of the reasons why he was so incredibly unhappy in 2019 is that he knew that it was a train wreck. He knew it was a train wreck. He knew there was no game plan. He knew that it was all both he and Jarvis. I mean, they're they're smart football players. They They knew that it was an absolute mess. There was no rhyme or reason to half of what they were doing. That's not the case at all. You know, we've heard Odell talk about guys like, you know, Bill Belichick. I mean, he really appreciates smart football and really good football coaches like Kyle Shanahan. You know, he would have wanted probably to play for a Kyle Shanahan or a Sean McVay or somebody like that. And I think he feels like he's in really, really good hands with Kevin Stefanski, with Alex Van Pelt. They know how to use a player of his caliber and they also appreciate what he is and who he is. And so I think it's all coming together to make for a a happier Odell. And then couple that with better timing between him and Baker and they might all be onto something here.
1: Okay. There we go. A uh, bunch of insider nuggets there about the Browns coming out of mini camp. As we uh, tell you what, this summer is going to go fast, Mary Kay. We're going to be to July 27th before we know it. I know Browns fans want this summer to fly by because they are excited about this football team and this mini camp. I, I don't think did anything to sort of slow those expectations uh, based on what we saw. Okay. We're going to take a break. On the other side, I had a chance to talk to Malik Jackson about minicamp, about how this defensive line compares to what he played with in Denver that year that they won the Super Bowl, all of that stuff. That's going to come up on the other side of the break. Mary Kay, I will talk to you later. Sounds great. Welcome back to the Orange or Brown Talk podcast. I had a chance to talk to Brown's defensive tackle, Malik Jackson, who signed with the team this offseason. Now, Malik is donating 250 copies of the Juneteenth-themed book, All Different Now, Juneteenth, The First Day of Freedom, by Angela Johnson and E.B. Lewis, to Cleveland schools and organizations. And the books will be distributed to students at George Washington Carver in the Cleveland Metropolitan School District. Their principal and support staff distributed them on June 17th. Now, of course, Juneteenth, was recently recognized as a federal holiday by President Joe Biden and I had a chance to talk to Malik Jackson about his donation his time with the Broncos and Joe Woods how this defensive line compares to that a little bit about Miles Garrett I got to spend about 10 minutes with Malik but the first thing I asked him was why was making this donation and why is education about Juneteenth so important to him
0: first of all happy Juneteenth Um, it's a great holiday the greatest holiday in the country. I want to thank um, President Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris, for making this day a federal holiday. Um, and that's what I'm. That's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm passing out 500 books, 250 in Los Angeles area, 250 in the Cleveland area, to um, kids to learn about the day, learn learn their history, and um, you know, just to start really putting the onus on you know ourselves as a as a parent to teach our kids that you know the schools refuse or just
1: aren't um, yeah won't teach. So, so how was this, um, this opportunity brought to your attention?
0: I mean, it's my culture. It, uh, it is, it's, it's me. It's who I am. Um, just watching the, the, the things that's been going on in this country the last few years with the, some of the laws and, and regression and just some of the things that are happening um, continuously. I felt like it's important for us to really control the narrative and be able to um, first learn our history. You know, we see so many movies about enslaved people you know, I think the greatest movie was made was Django. So it's one of those things that we need to start be able to learn who we are, what we come from, and, and, and how to grow to keep the narrative and our, under our control and not let people keep telling us, you know, what happened and, and this and that.
1: So, so you mentioned this kind of briefly, but I, I mean, now that Joe Biden and, and Kamala Harris did make this a federal holiday, I, I mean, what does that mean to you?
0: It means everything. It means it has to be acknowledged. You know, there's like I said earlier, there's so many people out here trying to trying to act like nothing happened and trying to act like um, Black history isn't American history, you know, because we helped build this country in the first place. So it's one of those things, you see the the regression, you see the the, um, the nonsense of people not trying to um, accept what happened. So for President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris to really um, acknowledge this day, um, just signify that I feel like we're getting, going in a better direction of everybody having to understand what truly happened, just know the history so we can, Go forward.
1: So so you mentioned the education piece of this. And obviously, you know, this donation to to schools, that's that's a big part of it. You know, how how far away, I guess, do do you think we are? And it's it's probably pretty far. How far away do you think we are from an education standpoint to having this kind of where you want it to be?
0: See, that's that's a hard that's a hard question. I don't want to lim I don't want to like sit here and limit or condemn or act like people can't change in the near future. But from what I've seen before, for me to be 31 and I didn't learn about Juneteenth in school, you know, it's heartbreaking, but I think with what President um, Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris has done it, like I said, it makes people understand, it makes us have to learn, it makes us have to acknowledge what happened. And, you know, hopefully it doesn't matter if you like it or not, you gotta teach it, you know, because that's American history. It's not just about pilgrims and then you skip over and now we're sitting here with skyscrapers, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously with you. It's, it's not something I learned about in school either. So, so, I mean, yeah. this is obviously an important step to, to make sure that the kids are learning about this at an early age. Yes. Yes, exactly. Okay. So, so do you mind if we talk a little football? Yeah, Go ahead. This was kind of your first week around your new team and kind of watching you guys at practice, that defensive line was the most energetic group. So I, I guess what was your experience like at, at mini camp this week?
0: It was awesome. Um being able to be around the guys. You know, the, the group is led by Miles Garrett. You know, he, he he pushes us. He 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 just shows out and does everything. So for us, we just try to just keep up with him. And um I think it was cool just to be around the guys, be able to play with them, um, talk to them, um, learn them, you know. So it was it was awesome, you know, just just to be around the whole defense, the whole team, really. Um, it was just fun again, you know, because we took the OTAs away and me, I'm going to year 10. I'm not I'm not used to having no OTAs. So it was fun to be around the guys and I just laugh and just kind of forget about, you know, the real world, so to speak, and just be lost in, in what I
1: love. Where did that energy come from? I mean, like I said, you guys were the, the loudest group there by far. And I, I mean, I was watching those drills yesterday, the when I don't know what you guys were doing, the competing with the colleges thing. or whatever it was. But I mean, where oh, does yeah. that energy that you guys had come from?
0: Oh, yeah, you're talking about that drill. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it, um it comes from my understanding that there's, Sixteen guys in the room, and eight dress, and four start. So, you know, it's like a, it's um, it's just a, it's just a show out, you know. And I don't think it's fake. I don't think it's um. Everybody's like, look, I'm competing, and I'm gonna show coach who I am every single day, every single time I step up. And um, you know, when you have dogs like Miles Jadavian, Andrew Billings, you know, um, you got young guys and guys that want to take their spot are gonna show up and sh- show out as they should. So it's just about just competing and. And getting each other better.
1: So, so you've been around some some great players on those li- on defensive lines. You've been on some great defensive lines. So, so when you kind of show up though, and you see Miles Garrett on one side, Jadavian on the other side, you mentioned Andrew Billings, you know, there's other guys there as well. You know, I know Malik McDowell's around all, all of that. When, when you kind of see all these guys in that room, how does it compare to some of the groups you've been with, at least on paper?
0: Um, it looks good. I I, I like to compare to the 2015 uh, Broncos D-line that I was on. You know, um, we had a lot of dogs, we had a lot of talent. But the one thing we did was we worked and we were together and uh, we knew what we were doing and we knew how we were going to do it and we did it. So I think this this D-line can really add up to that, especially on paper with the names. But now it's just about learning Coach Wood's defense, the uh, the small things, and then being able to go out there and execute our pass rush.
1: So, so what was it like on that 2015 line? Um, I mean, obviously that that Broncos defense was unbelievable. I, I mean, you you got a touchdown in the Super Bowl <laughs> out, no. out of that year. Um, yeah. I, I mean, what was that experience like being part of that defense and part of that group?
0: It was awesome. You know, I think it's kind of still surreal because I'm playing. You know, you try not to. You really don't go back. You kind of let the year go. But to be able to kind of take a step back, I mean, that was a a um what was it decade all decade defense. You know, so mm-hmm. be able to be a part of that is um. It's a blessing and it's awesome, you know, um, to have the leaders we had and, and to be able to do the things we did was just special. So um, to think about it now, it's um, I know when I look back on my career, you know, that would be a definitely a huge thing I look at and just a uh, true blessing.
1: Now, Joe Woods was on that staff, the, the DB's mm-hmm. coach, and I, I think I recall you telling us when you first signed that, um, you know, you, you knew him pretty well and, and maybe he was mm-hmm. one of the reasons you decided to sign with Cleveland. But, mm-hmm. I mean, do you have a pretty good relationship with Joe kind of predating – arriving here. Yeah,
0: I know Coach Woods from um the Denver days. Um right. and I think um that's you know really what 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 helped him especially seeing me young and then being able to see me after a Liz Frank and then now after that year later after that Liz Frank see me being the same guy. So you know I'm glad he gave me the opportunity. I'm glad he, he trusts me, you know, and um I'm gonna show him he made the right decision. So him and Mr. Barry. So it's it's just one of those things that um uh, we knew each other and I think that relationship really cultivated into the opportunity I have now and um I'm gonna thank him for it on Sunday.
1: So so what is it about Joe that, that makes him such an effective coach? I mean, we don't we don't really get to know these guys all that well. And and last year was obviously a, a tough year for him with injuries and, and all of that stuff. Kind of he wasn't really able to do what he wanted to do. Yeah. What, what is it that that you think makes him an effective, an effective leader?
0: I think he listens to his players. Um, he gives us a bag of tools and allows us to go out there and use the tool we see fit in a certain situation. You know, he doesn't make us he doesn't make us robots. He's just all around a, a good guy, you know, um, somebody you just want to do good for. You know, he has a great opportunity and being in D.C., and I want to help him become a head coach, you know. So it's one of those things that um, it's, it goes hand in hand. But Coach Woods does a great job of just having you want to play for him. You know, rarely does he kind of scream and get at you. But when he does, you know, you know you've know you messed up and you know you're going to get screamed at before you get to the sidelines. So, um, you know, he's just even-kill, cool guy to play for. You know what to expect out of him. And uh, those are the easiest guys to play for when you know what to expect.
1: So, obviously, you, you got to kind of be around Miles this week and, and spend a little time with him. You know, you played with Vaughn Miller, right? Not, you know, another AM guy, another another guy. Who, I mean, he's going to end up in the Hall of Fame. You know, yep. Miles is still very young in his career, but if he continues on his trajectory, he'll probably be there one day too. Yep. When you look at Miles – I, I guess, what, what are your impressions of him? Even just watching him go through drills, just being around him. What what do you think of him?
0: Just a, a great talent, man. It's like everything is so flawless for him. You know, I mean, you see him on Sundays and, you know, you say, you just see what he does, but to see him on just practice and just see how, how he just gets out, like everything he does is full speed and, and just, flawless. it reminds me of, like you said, Von, Von Miller, who just You know, I can sit there – when I was younger, I would sit there and watch Vaughn and be like, okay, I'm going to try this. And then you go out there and get punched in in your chest and in your back. You say, okay, well, I can't do that. It's it's the (laughs) same thing with Miles. You know, it's like he just – the things he does are just so over and beyond everybody. It's like, you know, you kind of got to manifest a little bit more to make it your own. But he's just leagues ahead of everybody, and it's just cool to see – you know, see him um, outside and then get to know him and see his work habits.
1: Do you see a little bit of that in Jadavian as well, kind of that freakish athlete type of edge rusher?
0: Oh, yes. I, and, I, and I think that's the one thing I think I'm so excited about um, today on is like he has a supporting cast around him that allow him to do what he's good at. You know, um, I personally believe before, you know, he had a lot of, he had a, you know, one good player in that D-line, you know, that was really, and that was on the other end of the line. So, you know, they still could slide to him. I think now he has four people around him that could three other people around him that can really um set the tone and, and, and help him, you know, kind of worry the offense so that uh, he can do his thing. So I think he's going to have a good supporting cast, and we're going to we're going to allow him to be great.
1: All right, Malik, I appreciate you doing this. I think the donation, um, you know, kind of seeing you do that, is really cool. Um, so I appreciate you doing that, doing this, and I mean, welcome to Cleveland. I'm excited to watch you play this year.
0: Hey, I appreciate that. Thank you for the
1: platform. And my thanks to Malik Jackson for taking that time to join me to talk about his donation and also to talk a little bit about his new football team. Okay, that'll do it for this Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Make sure you subscribe to this feed wherever you get your podcasts. We're still going five days a week through now until training camp. And, of course, make sure you're a Football Insider subscriber. Go to Cleveland.com Browns. Hit that blue banner at the top of the page to get information and get yourself signed up. I'm Dan. Thanks for listening.